Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Each week we bring the most interesting conversations from around the media industry and today we're discussing the role of male allies in supporting their women colleagues. Last weekend I was invited to moderate a Twitter Spaces event organised by the Coalition for Women in Journalism. We talked about why men need to stand up for women journalists who are routinely abused and harassed in the field, in the newsroom and online, and more crucially how men can be effective and supportive allies. It's inspired by He For She, the solidarity movement for the advancement of gender equality initiated by the United Nations. When the actress Emma Watson made a speech about this back in 2014, she said, How can we affect change in the world when only half are invited to participate? She called on men to be advocates for women to bring about social change. And so today we're going to apply the premise of He For She to the news industry. And that means fighting misogyny and sexism at work, helping women climb the ranks in the newsroom, and encouraging women to report cases of gender abuse to their bosses. And here's the bottom line. Women don't expect men to have all the answers, but they do need us to be present and proactive to help when it counts. I'm bringing you the highlights of that conversation today, speaking with four powerful male allies from around the world. Listen on for tips that you can implement in your newsroom today. All of that's coming up after a quick word on this episode's sponsor. This journalism.co.uk podcast is supported by Memberful, which is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience. You can monetize your fantastic newsletters through Memberful with no need to connect to a third-party email provider. Try it for free on memberful.com, where you can also take up pro and premium plans to really start cranking up and customizing your membership offering. often are confronted uh, with the problem in the industry with men either not doing enough or being downright misogynist towards women. That's Kiran Nazish, the founding director of the Coalition for Women in Journalism, an organisation that supports women journalists around the globe through mentorship, research and discussions in the media like the one we're having today. She says that the Me Too movement has helped women working in journalism find the courage and support networks to share their experiences of being sexually assaulted and harassed in the workplace. But now the he for she movement comes in at the other side, showing that men can be part of the solution in big and small ways. In her career, Kiran has received invaluable mentorship from men, which has led to first jobs in the industry, guidance on difficult reporting zones, tips on improving her writing, and so on. When I was forming the Coalition for Women in Journalism alongside some of uh, my senior female colleagues, it was the support of the male mentors who gave me the confidence and, and supported the mission of this work that we do today um, as now as a worldwide support network. He for she is not just limited to misogyny and sexual harassment. As we will discuss, men can support women in a range of different scenarios, unique to them. Let's start with online abuse, for example. A report by UNESCO and the International Centre for Journalists this year revealed that three quarters of women journalists experience online violence. These threats of physical and sexual violence lead many women to self-censor, withdraw from all online interactions and develop mental health issues. You might be surprised to learn that in Canada, widely seen as model democracy, the situation is just as bleak. Here to share with us more on that is Tim Smith, a Canadian photojournalist and someone who works closely with the coalition to monitor press freedom cases and online harassment. Specifically in regards to Canada, I mean several things have become apparent in the last few months. The Coalition for Women in Journalism has reported in detail on the level of harassment that women journalists face here in Canada, uh, specifically through hate mail and online trolling campaigns. 
insofar as the CFWIJ's uh, reporting, Canada led the world for harassment and trolling in the fall, and that is appalling. Um, as well, the Canadian Association of Journalists recently released their newsroom diversity survey, and it shows the data behind what we all knew, but it's, it's plain to see now for us. Uh, and it shows that diversity is sorely lacking in Canadian newsrooms, and we still have a long way to go. And then beyond that, just recently, um, Canada made international news and international condemnation when Canadian journalists Amber Bracken and Michael Toledan were targeted and arrested by RCMP officers who were enforcing an injunction on unceded Wet'suwet'en territory in British Columbia. Um, and this appalling abuse of press freedoms has been extremely disturbing, and it demands condemnation from all Canadian journalists and all Canadian organizations. It again shows the various ways that women journalists in particular and minority journalists in that are facing targeted campaigns from so many different avenues. And it just shows the importance for allyship and for being there for our colleagues. Quickly going back to Kieran here, she underlines that if men occupy most of the senior positions in newsrooms, their stance on these issues trickles down into the organisation. Unfortunately, this self-reflection doesn't happen due to lack of diversity. Nobody is there to point out the problem. Allyship is needed to set the right culture, which would mean that women will not feel so alone if they, unfortunately, find themselves in these kinds of positions. Male colleagues are so important. Precisely for that reason, we do need to share um, some of the work. Women cannot be doing and speaking out for themselves. That is why we do need male colleagues who speak out on behalf of us when they're sitting on the table. We need allies who are on those um, tables uh, higher up in the hierarchy. One of the things that is very visible is that women journalists constantly telling us the ones who do have support from their male colleagues do feel secure, they are able to find solutions, but the ones who don't have, uh, who feel completely trapped are usually the ones who don't have support from the male colleagues. So it becomes even more important for us to have this conversation, to have male colleagues and you know take initiative in helping. What we really need are examples to understand the reality for women and what allyship can do to help. So we look next at the case of Patricia Devlin, a reporter based in Northern Ireland, who this year received death threats for her reporting on organised crime and the legacy of the Troubles. There were reports of sinister graffiti on her local patch, depicting her name and a gun crosshair. But this campaign against her predates this year. Someone closely involved in that case is Nick Williams, a journalist protection advisor for the Coalition. Patricia has the sort of institutional heft of a newspaper behind her, which is better than in many cases where either a journalist is a freelancer or citizen journalist. But, but even then, she, there's been a concerted campaign against her. Um, yes, so there has been um, graffiti against her emerging in locations that she reports on, including her name and a gun crosshair. Um, similar graffiti has also been used to target other journalists, including um, the security correspondent from another newspaper who was also uh, compared to an MI5 agent, uh, an allegation, if anyone knows, the, the relatively recent history of the, US, the UK knows is an incredibly dangerous allegation to make against a journalist. As part of her work, she would receive an absolute torrent of online Harassment threats um, that were misogynist and sectarian in nature um, to such an extent that this also included a threat to 
rape her infant child. Um, and obviously that is an incredibly horrific threat, but it's also incredibly gendered threat. And, you know, this required intervention by organisations such as ECPMF when I worked there, other organisations, the NUJ, Reporters About Borders. But ultimately, the PSNI, the Police Service for Northern Ireland, acted slowly, if at all, to ensure that she's protected. And this is a, an ongoing campaign. And so we move on to the key question of what use are male allies in such an extreme case as this? The thing about Patricia Devlin's case is, is that the threats were explicit. There was no grey area between whether there were like, you know, questions around freedom of expression. This was obviously an explicit threat that needed to be taken seriously, needed to be taken as a threat of potential further action. There is obviously, this is against a backdrop of online harassment targeting women across the spectrum. Um, every form of journalism is covered, every type of journalism is covered. Um, it, it's basically what journalists have to expect, which is horrific. It's like a workplace risk. The same way you'd wear a hard hat in a building site. As a journalist, you expect to be harassed and threatened online. And this directly targets women and journalists of colour and other marginalised minority journalists. What male journalists can do, or journalists who have the privilege of not having specifically gendered or racialized threats is to listen to their colleagues to ensure that they don't just see it as the as a cut and thrust of political journalism or any journalism. It's not something that should be acceptable. It's not something that should be taken to be what journalists should expect. Because you'll either push certain journalists away from certain beats, so you'll you'll get only white men working the organized crime beat which would then, I would say, drastically diminish the viewpoints and the expertise that's targeting and looking at those topics. This is a good point because we often normalise very strange behaviour in journalism. This is a broader point on how journalists should respond to abuse, but certainly the kind of threats we're talking about here need to be treated as reprehensible. We cannot afford to allow women to tolerate this kind of abuse. And the more backing that women receive from teammates and management, the more this puts pressure on the state and police to take appropriate action. To another point, one thing I've heard from women journalists is that they sometimes fear reporting abuse to their bosses because the response might be to simply take them off the beat they love or have worked hard to earn. Through no fault of their own, I might add. Nick says that this calls for a more nuanced understanding of the threat landscape. Such a knee-jerk reaction shows that the risk in response, perhaps the solution, is to make abundantly clear that reports of violence and threats will not result in taking people off beats. Is it that simple, though? We can look at an example from Alice Taylor, who is another partnership associate for the coalition. She receives abuse of all severities and says that raising the flag is not met with such sympathy. I always feel when I make these threats public or if I say anything about them or speak about it, there is always a voice or 10 and it's usually male saying, don't worry, it's nothing, don't make a big deal out of it, or you're looking for attention or something like that. So I think there is also, when we talk about online harassment, which is something that's very prevalent, there's also a lack of understanding that these threats, although they happen online, are, are just as bad. They're very real. Um, if someone has happened to me recently, threatens to rip your skull off, you know, that's not a, oh, it's just some idiot on the internet, stop making a drama about it. That's something that when I walk outside my front door every day, I'm looking over my shoulder thinking, who was that? Do they know where I am? Do they know where I live? 
so there's this culture of sort of dismissing certain kinds of threats as well and and sad to say that in my experience it's usually men telling me i'll get over it stop making a drama so this is something i think needs addressing as well and kieran says this is a perfect opportunity to demonstrate allyship i think that's exactly the moment he for she allies need to jump in when they see other men doing that right um so when a male colleague sees that a great way of being a he for she ally is to jump in in that moment and uh, interrupt that process. A powerful reminder not to normalise toxic behaviour and to instead call it out. I turn next to Jamal Reza, chairman of the Board of Association of Journalists of Kosovo. He's also a prominent TV journalist in the country and has intervened personally to support women journalists. In Kosovo, it's common for women to be on the front lines reporting riots and protests while men are sat in the warm, comfy newsroom. Many women do want to keep on doing the field reporting, but for those who want to occupy different newsroom roles, Jamal is working with the board to effect change. But that can raise even more issues. Uh, What I'm trying to do right now at at our association is to have as many women in non-traditional roles. We would have uh, only reporters, but no camera operators, no video editing uh, women. Uh, And it is more difficult for them to be in these positions because of, let's say, like in a video editing room, close contacts with male colleagues, which can lead to like sexual harassment or something similar. And uh, we're trying to work with as many women as we can to kind of help them do whatever they want, but not be afraid uh, because of the circumstances around them. But for men like Jamal, there is a stigma attached to having the backs of women. There is some stigma, you know, and why, why would you help, you know, you do a job. So I, then you would have some hesitance from some male colleagues on, at, at least going publicly, they would like maybe really in like everyday work, they would help their woman colleague and support them, but not going publicly because they, they fear that they fear about their position. And I've had really some personal experiences at the first place where, where, where I worked when you really would have the editor-in-chief going mostly uh, against women. Uh, and and I would be standing in the middle, uh, helping and protecting the woman that would be targeted because uh, because of her work. The situation in Africa is similar, according to Kennedy Wandera, chair of the Foreign Press Association Africa. Only men can also have their intentions questioned. Backlash against male allies is a real possibility uh, because as much as male allies can... Uh, are also facing criticism from female colleagues who try to ally with them. Some see it as a way of trying to impress or worse, even seduce. Uh, So yes, there is a palpable stigma associated with it. In addition, he says that men are often reluctant and anxious to stand up for women because they can be perceived as weak for doing so. But Kennedy says that it is crucial for men to speak out when they see gender biases at work. That includes anything from bullying and harassment to salary discrepancies. The point is, if you have power to influence change, you should use it. As we keep hearing, it is easy for men to turn a blind eye to these things to ensure their own job security. But if men are silent, they are complicit to the problem. In that sense, men need to be anti-sexist or anti-misogynist. Actually, we are talking of stereotypes. We are talking of confronting biases and leveraging expertise and clout to benefit our female colleagues at work and within our networks. Uh, we have seen uh, all sorts of gendered assumptions, denigration, uh, and even social disdain, uh, sexist jokes. Uh, we've seen disparaging comments on female colleagues. This is something that we must confront at all. 
we must just call out a perpetrator a sexist behavior in our work environment. For us to be part of the solution, we must follow up with our behavior. And we cannot just assume that we are not being part of the problem. That is not enough. We have to speak up and let them know that it's not just okay to say it and go. Therefore, it is a profession and ethical uh, aspiration for all of us to do. Back to the earlier point from Jamal on what roles women should take. If women want to do the hard reporting that puts them in vulnerable positions, men should never stand in their way and instead be available for support. Promoting their voices is the best way to cultivate trust and respect in the newsroom. Related to that, of course, is giving women credit for their work. I have heard accounts of women's ideas being dismissed, or even men getting the praise for women's ideas. Credit stealing is unacceptable, and is one of the things that especially needs to stop. We must amplify their contributions, not just on the stories they do, and not being seen as if we are replacing or trying to accept what they are doing, but we must always be there to inspire that trust and respect and just say, well done on what you've done. And we also need to run away from taking credit for everything because so we've seen that, that, that kind of uh, uh, behavior where our female colleagues go to work and they carry up a certain role in the newsroom, do a fantastic story. But when it comes to that particular story come, or perhaps being submitted for an award somewhere else, it becomes a problem. So we, we need to keep on uh, supporting them and we need to continue uh, amplifying their contributions to what we are doing in the newsrooms. What I take from this is you cannot expect women to call on you for support if they don't trust you, and they won't trust you if you do not acknowledge their contributions to the team. In that way, make sure women feel valued in your teams. A good way that I have learned to do this is by verbally acknowledging their input in meetings. I just want to emphasise what X person said. Make sure that everyone in the room knows where that idea came from. Coming back to Alice here from the Coalition, she doubles down on the point that doing nothing about these issues is no longer acceptable. By not being proactive, by not speaking out, by not stepping in to, I don't want to use the word defend, but to stand up against people who are being misogynistic or targeting women, be it online, in the newsroom, a sexist comment here and there, that is complicity. You are part of the problem. Being passive, it's not actually being passive. You are facilitating the continuation of this issue. Um, and I think there is a problem, I, I think maybe in the Balkans, definitely, where if a man stands up for a woman, perhaps it might be seen as him not being very masculine or... This, I do think, is a bit of an issue. I, I have actually seen it happen. If a male reporter makes a sexist comment to another male colleague about a woman and someone lets it slide, but I think if, if the man, if, if the ally says, actually, no, do you know what? That's not okay. The more this happens, the more quickly there will be a change. Um, so I think this is the most important thing is not letting anything slide, whether it is a comment between guy friends in the cafeteria or if you see a woman getting dogpiled on Twitter. You know, it's being passive is being complicit. Recalling the mission of He for She for a moment about men being advocates for change, Kieran reminds us that men cannot just be on standby mode and relying on women to surface the problems. 
but men themselves need to be actively looking out for and acknowledging the issues that women are facing. Whenever we are talking about issues that women are facing, whether it's in the newsroom or because of their reporting in the field, we don't see acknowledgement by the men. So what women and minorities need is they need acknowledgement. First, men need to know what's happening. So they need to intentionally listen. They need to participate. And they need to have this conversation alongside us. It shouldn't just be the women pointing out all the things that are going wrong and all the things that we're unhappy with or all the things that we are struggling with. I think that's where he for she comes in, where our male colleagues can participate with us in this conversation and intervene. It, it is important that our male colleagues are pointing out the problems rather than us doing it. That is what allyship is. They need to be our advocates. For Tim Smith, men have blind spots and therefore going off our own assumptions is not the best way forward. A big thing that I've learned over the years is, is just about the blind spots that we have. I don't face harassment on a daily basis. I don't get uh, vulgar Twitter messages or hateful emails and that kind of thing. So that can be a blind spot to me because I don't face it. But I have to be aware and we have to be aware that um, just because we aren't facing it doesn't mean it's not happening. And we we need to seek out what other people in our industry, specifically women in this case, are experiencing. And we need to be responsive to that. But also, men should do what the women are expected to do in that situation. Challenge people in power and make the case for better standards. We have to speak up against it immediately um, if we see, especially uh, amongst positions of power in the newsroom, like editors, publishers, and that if we see an instance of sexism or we feel that uh, a woman uh, colleague isn't getting the same opportunities that we might get, then we absolutely have to push for that. We have to speak up against it. We have to champion their abilities, their skills, and the right for them to have all the opportunities that we have. The one thing of course we haven't spoken about yet is childcare which let's be honest usually falls on women. I'm a young parent too I hear you men you have parental responsibilities too I get that. Alice shares a really effective family first policy that's in place in two newsrooms she works in and this serves both women and men. The beauty of this is it's not a sort of a child care first policy so it doesn't as we know um child care normally falls on the women or in my case i don't have anyone else to help me um but this family first policy means that if you have family issues if there is something you need to attend to involving your family that takes priority no questions asked and the people in the newsroom will cover for you now what i like about this is the fact that it can apply to men and women. So you don't end up in a situation where there are men resenting women um, or whatever for taking time off to take care of a sick child or something because the policy works both ways. Um, So this is really good because I know that if my daughter's sick, if she needs me, if something happens, you know, I have the support of my team there who will step in to continue um, my work, to, to share the load. And I'm not going to have to ask lots of questions about it or face resentment for anyone else. Because if a male colleague needs to take care of a child or has a sick mother or parent or spouse or something, they can also take the time off needed and other members of staff will cover for them. So this for me is an example of something practical that can be done and that has worked very well where I am at the moment, you know, because not having to worry about 
being looked down on or criticized or people talking about me behind my back or someone resenting me because I'm taking time off to take care of my child, that's a huge weight off my shoulders. And it's quite an equalizer as well. I find people don't really um, abuse the system either because you feel appreciated. You feel, you know, you're, you're happy to work in an environment where your employer cares and acknowledges the fact you have a private life and other things going on and is able to support you. So that's one thing to maybe push for to support everyone in your newsroom. But my final question here really comes down to how far men should go to support women, even possibly at their own expense particularly whether that is nominating someone else for a speaking opportunity at a media conference, an opportunity to lead a project in the newsroom, or advance in the company instead of them. We go to Nick Williams first. Manuals shouldn't exist in journalism or in any other uh, field. Um, Neither should all white journalists, you know, panels, you know, but that is something that you need to be very explicit. I know everyone enjoys talking, everyone enjoys being invited. But it's even better when you can direct a colleague to ensure that you're not speaking over the experiences of others. And everyone who organises conferences should not be programming conferences that are above 50% better representation. It's getting better, like there is a better call-out culture that you see a lot of high-profile people turning down panels because of representation issues, not just on issues of gender. And that's healthy because it will just ingrain the fact that there's a reputational damage for just focusing on the sort of, uh, male, pale and stale. For Kennedy Wandera, it's about putting your neck on the line to call out toxic behaviour whenever it rears its ugly head. If you don't stand up for your female colleague, for instance, who is being harassed by an editor, uh, the same situation is going to unfold to someone else. So we, we must speak against harassment no matter yeah. how no matter how uh it's going to impact us so that we we remove this kind of toxic work culture and demeaning language in the newsroom i think that is the extent we can go uh to, to allow that self-sufficiency for our colleagues and being strong and in control of what they can do better for Jamal Reza, it's about promoting women without fear that they could one day replace you and giving them the opportunity to present the biggest stories even ahead of male colleagues. I'm not saying it as a sacrifice. Some big uh, events happen and you would have everyone tuning in on your TV. And then uh, a lot of my male colleagues would want all the attention and everyone watching and them being the main face of, of, of that event. And I've been sharing it with my female colleagues uh, for, for many times. And that's, I think, just a small thing that we can do. You know, and not like doing a favor for them, but because they are really good uh, in in their job. And Kiran Nazish puts this best, saying that allyship often does mean sacrificing your own personal power for those who don't have it. Essentially, you, it, it does come with sacrificing some of your power, right? So when we're talking about allyship, allyship means that we have to give up some of our power to let someone else have it because there is uh, you know a discrepancy in how that power is distributed you would have you know people who do hold power which would be male colleagues in this context they would have to give up some of the power there needs to be an active participation uh, by male colleagues to be able to do that um, or not just male I think it's a power hierarchy so whenever you feel you know you are you have more power and you can share it with someone else it would come with giving up that power 
It was at this point we had a question from the audience about what to do if you had experienced or witnessed sexual harassment at work, and they feared that reporting it would get them fired. The fact is that both men and women in different parts of the world worry about doing this, and it speaks volumes about how much support they need to feel comfortable to raise the flag. And that's where allies come in, to summarise Tim's point, who will put their reputation and career on the line to lend you their supports. To leave you with Kiran, that's where networks like the Coalition for Women in Journalism can have real tangible impact, because they provide external allies if you cannot find any internally. This is one of the reasons why the Coalition for Women in Journalism was formed, because you have to find, reach out and find those allies. If they're not around you, you find them somewhere else. And, um, you know, the, the coalition was formed after years and years of thinking and years and years of conversations with women and years and years of being fed up alongside, you know, uh, women colleagues that I had around me, not only those who were my age and in my, you know, my peers, but those who were senior to me. You know, one of the reasons we started talking about forming the coalition, which is a support system which goes beyond a newsroom, it, it, it opens itself to an industry. Such a powerful conversation and thank you once again to the Coalition for Women in Journalism for organising the panel and inviting me to steer the conversation. I think back to Emma Watson's speech in 2014 when she said, if not me, who? If not now, when? And to that I say, action starts with you today. Allyship is not a badge of honour that men can simply wear to impress. It's a commitment to the cause, because ultimately, our newsrooms are better when we have strong and supported women working both on the front lines and in the boardrooms. If you like what you heard today, you can check out more of our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. I'd love to know what you thought of today's episode. You can reach me on jacob at journalism.co.uk. But that's all we have time for. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.